With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And what about Zyprexa? Let's tell a little story about Zyprexa from your research. Well, Zyprexa is... Olanzapine. Right. This was one of the first drugs I really started investigating. So olanzapine is a drug in, in initially approved for um, schizophrenia. It was one of a class of drugs called atypical antipsychotics, which were said to be so much better than the old standard neuroleptics, drugs like Thorazine and Haldol. Now, my first sort of venture into Zyprexa was was I pulled the FDA trials, uh, that the clinical trials of Zyprexa that were submitted to the FDA, and I was quite shocked to see that there was actually quite a high death rate in those trials, and that one of every 145 patients roughly exposed to Zyprexa ended up dying, sometimes from suicide, that sort of thing. Um, but there was clear problems with diabetes, weight gain, that sort of thing. And so what do we know about Zyprexa today, which, um, you know, is... <laughs> is at one point, I think, became one of the best-selling drugs in, 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 you know, globally. Yes, of any did. Type That's of correct. Um, well, we do know it, can, it, it causes a lot of weight gain. It causes metabolic dysfunction. It can cause diabetes. Um, in modern trials and modern studies, it's been shown to shrink the brain in monkeys and in, and in adults as well. So you have this brain shrinkage factor. I mean, these are a lot of sort of uh, really adverse uh, effects associated with olanzapine. First patient I saw that came to me that was on Zyprexa gained 30 pounds in the first five months of treatment. And I know many people have gained 100, 125 that have just, you know, absolutely ballooned up. Bob, Bob, I want to enter. Is it accurate that in order to uh, get a, a, a new medicine through the FDA, all that is necessary are two successful studies. Is that correct? Right, and I think it's even less than that. So, is, is it also correct from your research that a pharmaceutical company can do 100 studies and 98 of them can have negative results, but if they show two positive results they can get the the medicine approved? Is that correct, or is that a fallacious rumor? No, no, that is true. You can keep on running studies until you get two that show that your drug beats placebo over the short term. Did That's you correct. run into any examples where there are actually 50 well, was, or more negative was, results, and then they actually came up with two, and they put the with the medicine on the market? Is, uh, well, let's just, we, and then we can come back to Zyprexa. Certainly. That study is pretty interesting. If you look at the studies of SSRIs, um, of all the studies, and this was um, this was a researcher named Eric Turner, 
used a freedom of information request, I believe, to get all the trials that were submitted to the FDA for approval of, I think it was seven, S, uh, seven antidepressants from a certain period of time, 87 to not sure when. Well, there were 74 trials, and 36 were negative. In other words, the drug failed to beat placebo, and 38 were positive. Now, in other words, they, they, they beat placebo. And I think one of the manufacturers, and I forget which one, had to run like six or seven trials before they got two positive ones and thus got approval. So what you see when you see this entire universe of trials of SSRIs is about half the time they failed to beat placebo. And now here's the key thing here. Even And what happens is the negative studies never get published. It's just the positive ones that get published in, in the research literature. But there's another thing here that people don't realize. These are not, there's no placebo group really in the trial. What happens is so often is they'll take people even on SSRIs or on an antidepressant, they'll withdraw the whole group, okay? They'll withdraw everybody, and they'll wait for about a week. Now, if anybody starts getting better on placebo, they don't allow them to, they don't randomize them to trial. They wait for a week, and, and those who don't get better are either put back on drug or randomized to placebo. So what we've done, in fact, is wash out or try to reduce the placebo response rate. That's number one. And number two, if people have prior drug exposure, their brain has sort of been uh, is adapted to that drug. It expects the antidepressant. So what you really have with now in the drug-treated group is a group that is going back on a drug that it got used to before. So what's so amazing to me, in a way, with this trial design is that you don't see a lot more positive studies over because then they just follow people for six weeks. Now that's part of the amazing thing, given the trial design. Um, the other but, thing, Bob, of course, as you know, is that they, don't, or they often do not use active placebos. Which oh, means, they don't use active placebos. This is, this is very important for listeners to know, uh, the, the difference between what's an active and an inactive placebo. An active placebo is a sugar pill, for example, but it has something in it so that you get a feeling when you take it. And why this is important is that it's been discovered that if you give one group the active medicine and the other group an inactive placebo, the group that takes the, inactive me the active medicine, they know they're on the active medicine because they can feel something happening in their body. Right. And so what, what scientists are telling us now is that when we feel something happening in our body, we know that we've been given the medicine so that our mind then helps the medicine work. Whereas the people who get the inactive placebo, they feel nothing happening, so they know they're in the placebo group, so that nothing happens. So what we did was came up with what's called an active placebo. So you take a sugar pill, but it has a little something in it so that when you take it, you feel something's going on, so then you say, oh, maybe I'm in the, um, the medicine group. So then your mind has an opportunity to, uh, to, uh, to actually do some good, and so it's a much more accurate study. And, and this is extremely important, because in the studies you're talking about, they used, they used uh, inactive placebos, so the people who took the medicine knew they were on the medicine. That, that's right, and not only this, they tried to knock down the placebo response rate with the trial design. And then and, when, when and you in, get the... In, and in the literature you're talking about, where they've compared antidepressants to active placebos. I, I think there's been nine such studies, not all that many, but seven of the nine, there was no difference whatsoever. And, and you know what this means, folks? I, I mean, it's, it just it staggers, it beggars the imagination. It's almost, I, I don't know if this is a good analogy, but it would be like buying a new car and being told that 50% of the time 
the tires are going to fail. Because that's what it means when 50% of the time the medicines are ineffective. It means you're taking something at least half the time is ineffective, and you've got an investigative reporter here saying not only are the medicines ineffective, but worse than that, the follow-up over years shows that they increase the chronicity of the disorder. Right. I mean, so here's, I think this is a confusing story. So do some people go on SSRIs, do fine? Do do they get better? The answer is yes. I mean, over the short term, you'll you'll have some people that, a prepared percentage that will see their mood lifted. But what, what, what we're talking about here does an SSRI lift your mood any better than an active placebo, and what science seems to be telling us is, over the short term, actually not. So, and that t- gives you, this allows us to think about the short-term efficacy of the pills in a different light. But then now let's do ask, what happens to you long-term when you go on the drug and say an SSRI? Well, first of all, what happens is um, your brain is modified by the drug. It tries to compensate for its presence. And I think it's pretty clear now that once that modification happens, it can be difficult. You, you, you know, you may experience withdrawal symptoms when you when you when you come off, and actually, you're at a pretty good risk of relapsing when you come off because this modification has happened. But long term, it turns out, uh, or at least uh, the accumulating evidence is showing, is that uh, it, you, it seems that so a uh, high percentage of people end up becoming sort of chronically depressed or chronically dysphoric. And just so you know, I know this seems so, as uh, you let off with that quote, seems so contrary to what is known to be true. But there's just, even since my book came out, uh, someone named uh, uh, a mood expert from the University of uh, Louisville just wrote a paper this summer saying, uh, proposing that the, the name for this should be called tardive dysphoria. And what he, tardive means is there's sort of a late onset with this drug use of sort of a chronic dysphoric state. So it's not really me who's raising this. I mean, I put together the research literature that supports this view of things, but there have been researchers in the field for some time, say, with SSRIs going, oh my God, why are people, why are we seeing so much chronicity? Why are we seeing such bleak long-term outcomes? Could these drugs be depressogenic over the long term? And even stepping forward with biological explanations for what they think is going on. So, I'm just a reporter here sort of digging into the literature, finding out what documents are saying, what are people saying, and bringing them forth to the public and, you know, putting evidence together into a puzzle. But the the worry is there uh, in literature quite, quite plainly, quite plainly, actually. 